Welcome to the CSLP Podcast, where we're helping to educate, inform, and assist financial professionals and student loan borrowers to make smarter repayment decisions. So we have our usual group here today with with Heather Jarvis and Janet Hoffman. And uh, today we're going to start out by spending uh, a bit of time with Heather. because if, Hi, Larry. Uh, how are you today, Heather? Doing fantastic. How about you? Excellent. I'm, uh, I'm really excited about this one and, and hearing more about your story and sharing it to our audience. Your, you, your website indicates you are the student loan expert, and from everything I know about you and have heard from others, you truly are. Tell us how you became a student loan expert. Well, you know, the first thing I did along my path to expertise uh, was to start borrowing student loans when I was 18 years old. I got my first loan, a Perkins loan. Uh, and I qualified for a Perkins loan because of my exceptional financial need. My uh, family didn't have a lot growing up. My sister and I are the first generation to um, graduate from college or attend and graduate college. And so I borrowed about $125 thousand dollars by the time I graduated from the law school at Duke. And I'll tell you, I had no idea what that would mean for my life and my family's financial security. And I have, you know, very few regrets about borrowing that money, but I I do wish I had been better uh, informed and that I had asked more questions. Uh, but I think I just, I didn't even know what to ask. I mean, I, I came from a family that didn't have money, so didn't understand, you know, money or interest or borrowing. I mean, I recall my mother never even had a credit card. That wasn't like a thing. And so I, I had these opportunities to pursue education, and I knew that it was important and valuable way of getting uh, enjoyable work and contributing back to society and all that stuff. Uh, but I, I just financially, I didn't have a clue. And I always knew I wanted to be a public interest lawyer because I was kind of more of a social worky kind of lawyer. And what I didn't quite realize, although it makes perfect sense, is that lawyers who help the poor end up being paid rather less than lawyers that represent, you know, wealthy corporations. I'm sure that comes as no shock to the listeners. Um, but I borrowed a lot of money and um, wanted to work in the lower paying public sector jobs and found that all rather uh, difficult to juggle and learned a lot of life lessons and lessons about money along the way. Um, and so, yeah, after doing about a half a dozen years of uh, working on uh, direct legal representation, I, I really wanted more of an opportunity to help other people access 
education and not have to sacrifice their whole financial security in order to do it. So I was super lucky to land a cool job in D.C. at a nonprofit called Equal Justice Works. Uh, And part of our mission was to reduce the financial barriers to practicing public interest law. And the biggest financial barrier was student loan debt. Uh, So I got to do things like participate in the um, drafting and lobbying around the College Cost Reduction and Access Act, which is the one that created public service loan forgiveness and income-based repayment. Two of the biggest things to happen in the student loan world uh, in our lifetimes. And uh, yeah, so that's been very rewarding. Along the way, I learned that, like many other things, the student loan system is not especially friendly to the consumers and borrowers, and that it is difficult to navigate successfully. So people need help. And I have dedicated my professional efforts to assisting student loan borrowers so that they can make good choices and and uh, not pay more than they have to uh, for their educations. What are the hot topics now? What are people wanting to know most uh, when when you go out? What, what do they ask? What are their issues? Well, depending on the audience, I think what student loan borrowers want to know more than anything else is whether they can count on this programs that exist, the public service loan forgiveness program, uh, as well as the income-driven repayment options and the like. So they worry about the future and they are concerned uh, about the details as they should be because there are many. Um, And then from the perspective of the financial advisors I speak to, Um, I find that the topics are similar, so they are most interested in the details of how to position their clients to benefit from the forgiveness provisions that exist. And, of course, that means that they need a clear understanding of the income-driven repayment options in particular, as well as the different loan types and forgiveness provisions and the, you know, kind of detailed requirements. So financial advisors that have um, interactions with young professionals, those that are working to expand their practice into people who are not already um, you know, of tremendous wealth, but who are building their capacity for that. Um, you know, so people who have strong educations and incomes, but haven't built net worth yet, like, you know, relatively recent graduates from medical school, law school, veterinary school, that sort of thing. Um, financial advisors who are interested in, um, supplying services to those people know that this issue is top of the mind for those clients. 
And so those advisors want to ask me, you know, how can I be sure I'm doing a, a good job on these cases and I'm not missing anything? Um, you know, and so they like to get into those nitty gritty details. Speaking of uh, public service loan forgiveness, uh, how, how big of a problem is this? I mean, is this something that um, there's just a massive number of people that are actually already on target for? I mean, or when I say on target, I mean, are they actually considering it? Um, I, I Give me your perception of, of the consumer market and are, are, are they just looking to reduce their payments or some people, and I've read some of these articles that say, I know I'll never be able to pay off this debt. You know, I need to find another way, which kind of implies loan forgiveness. I mean, what's, what's the scope of the problem? Well, um, the overwhelming majority of graduates from professional programs, by which I mean, you know, medical, legal, dental, pharmacy, veterinary. Uh, and I, I distinguish that from graduate programs like masters and PhDs of various sorts, although those programs can be very expensive as well. Particularly in the professional programs, there's very little scholarship money and grant money for students. So everyone who does not arrive with wealth significant wealth will have um, large student loan balances. So it's not at all unusual for people to have six-figure loan balances, sometimes, you know, two, three, and more hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And so, so all those people have some potential for loan forgiveness. And depending on their earning over time, they may well be better off pursuing that strategy for their student loans. So, you know, one kind of rule of thumb that is a little bit simplified, but a nice way to kind of start your analysis is if you have a client coming in the door who owes more on their federal student loans than their current annual salary, uh, you definitely have to evaluate whether forgiveness might be the best um, outcome for that client. Um, now, on the other hand, if someone comes in and makes twice as much money as what they owe, they might be better off with more of a traditional debt management plan of, you know, repaying as quickly as possible in order to avoid interest accrual. Um, but the, the vast majority of recent graduates from professional schools, as well as a, a significant number of graduates from other masters and beyond programs um, have circumstances that warrant a careful analysis of their ability to benefit from forgiveness. Okay, so it's, it sounds like though that in, in any case, someone who has this debt needs, needs professional help 
Right. And even people who think that they have done their homework may not have all the information they need. You had mentioned public service loan forgiveness in particular. Uh, Many borrowers and advisors alike have the general knowledge that public service loan forgiveness requires uh, employment in the public sector, nonprofit or government for 10 years in order to achieve loan forgiveness. And that is so oversimplified of an understanding as to be practically misleading. I mean, it's not technically wrong, but it's just so incomplete that it doesn't get people anywhere. Uh, Public service loan forgiveness is not handed out for doing public service. It's not automatic. It's not easy. Uh, And so people with student loans need competent advisors that will look at their particular circumstances. They need to evaluate whether that borrower has eligible loans, direct loans, or whether they may have some other loans like Perkins loans or Fell loans from a previous federal program that could be eligible but only after consolidation. Uh, and they need to select the appropriate repayment plan, an income-driven repayment plan, and uh, there are five nuanced plans to choose from, each having pros and cons and trade-offs. So Unfortunately, what can happen is you can have a a borrower doing everything they're supposed to do, making their payments, working in public service, and not actually be progressing towards forgiveness in the way that they ought to be. Uh, And I think that's one of the best things that a trained advisor can do for such a client is to double check, you know, do you have the right kind of loans? If not, you know, can we consolidate? If we do, what would be the downside to that? Um, Do you, are you in the right repayment plan? Would you be better off in a different plan? Uh, And then there's the whole, you know, other wrinkle of managing the record keeping within the loan servicing system that exists. So, you know, Jance and I will talk at any moment about problems with the companies that administer these loans program on behalf of the federal government. Um, Many mistakes are made, misinformation is given, And it's really a hard time to be um, someone who owes student loans to the federal government. It's not the kind of thing you want to try to manage on your own. That's one of the things, and I want to get into the uh, the loan servicer issues, particularly uh, because I know Jance has had a lot of experience uh, with that. But uh, what I'm gathering here is that this is not a 
I, I will call it a set it and forget it situation. In other words, I okay, I established my repayment plan I'm a, and I'm on track. Um, now I just keep making payments and 10 years later it all happens. I get the sense that it perhaps requires a little nurturing and maintenance over uh, what over the over every year or what are you recommending? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that people need help establishing a strategy and setting up the uh, arrangements to pursue a particular outcome. So as you said, it's not set it and forget it, but you do need to start by setting it. So figure out what's best based on the information you have now. So there's sort of a a lot that can be done initially for a borrower. Evaluate their loan types, their payment plan, their payment history, their interest rates, the, you know, possibility of the benefits or lack of uh, for refinancing and the like. But then you're absolutely right. That is not sufficient because you're only able to really do kind of projections at that point based on your estimates of future employment, future income, future family size, and then as circumstances unfold, you can take that reality and cross-check it against the assumptions you had made. And so I think you're right. I think annually um, it's worth reviewing a student loan strategy to ensure that it still makes sense and that there isn't any tweaking that could improve it. And additionally, with life changes. So things like marriage, divorce, the birth of a child, changing jobs, moving, buying a house, you know, because all that stuff is interrelated. You know, and Jance does a great job in the student, the certified student loan professional program of study of showing us case examples and showing how a savvy planner can do things like advise a borrower to save additional money for retirement, thereby reducing their adjusted gross income, lowering their student loan payments driven by their income, and increasing their forgiveness over time. So those kinds of uh, clever, holistic plans n- must be responsive to what goes on in the life of that borrower. So it, it really is smart for a, a student loan borrower to get good advice and continue checking in in order to you know sort of maximize their total package which is a kind of a cool opportunity for advisors too who may be wanting to have a a younger client base a way of bringing in people who are not um graying and getting ready to transfer their assets to the next generation what 
what advisors can look forward to if they become um, prepared to assist student loan borrowers is, you know, that can just be the beginning of a long relationship where you can benefit your clients by helping them with, you know, comprehensive financial planning services over time that are focused around the student loans, but that are much broader than that and that can develop into, you know, then they can be investment clients with assets, hopefully under under management, you know, over time uh, as their success builds with the, you know, competent advice that uh, you've been able to give them. Let me let me jump in there and, and kind of piggyback on that. Um, within my own personal practice, um, I really see the student loan advice as a means of establishing relationships with new clients. And I understand that those clients don't have significant assets. Uh, many of them uh, are just walking out of school. Um, they're they're single. Uh, they have student loans, they're paying rent, that's about the extent of their financial plan. But most of them uh, will mature over the coming years and provide great opportunities to, to, to do those comprehensive plans, whether it be uh, looking at protection uh, within their family when they get married and purchase a home, whether it be saving for a kid's college or saving for retirement or starting their own practice. Um, those are the, the natural progression of these clients' lives. Uh, but the relationship is formed by helping them with their first real financial decision, which is how to deal with the student debt they accumulated while achieving their professional degree, uh, and then nurturing them through almost like a mini financial plan just focused on their student loans until they mature in their lives and are ready to take the next step in, in the planning process. Yeah, that's a that's a really important point. I think a lot of people need to hear. Uh, I mean, both advisors and, and certainly consumers. I think the a lot of uh, people coming out of college with debt probably think because they don't have assets that there's no need to talk to a planner. There's no need to uh, to go into this because they're feeling like, geez, I have no money to save. I'm just struggling to get started. Yeah, and one of the reasons for that, Larry, is because there are a lot of planners that are not prepared to provide the service that student loan borrowers are looking for. So, you know, years ago, when borrowers would say, who can I hire to help me figure this out, Heather? I would have to say, well, you know, traditionally, Financial planners and advisors may be more educated and experienced in wealth management than in any kind of debt management. And I would caution uh, borrowers to really vet people to, to ensure that they, you know, weren't only going to be interested in working with you if you already had a lot of money to invest or if you were looking for certain, you know, if they wanted to sell you certain kinds of insurance uh, that may or may not be appropriate. So I think one of the reasons borrowers feel like, oh, a financial advisor might not be able to help me is 
because not everyone can, not everyone is prepared. Um, but I've just been delighted by the response from the community of financial advisors. Um, you know, I'm that's not my educational or professional background, and I've just been, you know, really pleased to meet people in financial advising and planning because they do have, for the most part, um, marvelously compassionate motives towards their client. They want to help and they want to do a good job. And so, you know, more and more people are realizing, wow, there's a lot to know about this student loan stuff and I can't just wing it. I better, you know, really do my research uh, so I can do a good job. So I do think that's changing. Yeah, and I think, Heather, part of the reason why there isn't a lot of advisors that know this material is probably twofold. One, um, the industry is very much historically has been focused on assets under management. So it's always been targeting those individuals that already have accumulated a lot of assets. Um, but also within the financial services industry, it's a real aging industry, aging demographic of uh, not a lot of young entrants, not a lot of young people are heading into financial advising. Most of them are going um, into other career paths in finance. And because of that, you have the, the people giving this advice oftentimes um, are maybe a generation removed from the issue, which is the increased amount of student debt people have. And their particular clients didn't have or maybe had significantly less student debt when they were um, establishing relationships with them maybe 20 or 25 years ago. I would just say that, that that's something that the industry needs to, to come around to is that this, uh, when I was doing some market research for one of the, the lessons we were putting together, you know, two thirds of all the people with student loans um, are, are between the ages of um, 25 and 45 years old. This is, that's generally the demographic, especially the upper echelon of that, that is the target market for, for many advisors. It's also for many of the, the advisors that are, that are trying to grow their book of business. It's a tough business to promote and market to people that already have $500,000 of investable assets. Um, whereas marketing to and growing your book of business uh, with those people that will soon be or in, in the near future be those individuals with assets is a much easier prelude to, to establishing those relationships. Absolutely. And I think some of the advisors who may have been doing it for a really long time without keeping a close eye on the change in the cost of education and the change in the way that education is paid for primarily through debt rather than through uh, scholarships or grants that don't need to be repaid may have a somewhat outdated notion that families with assets and families with incomes and the potential for wealth or even, you know, moderately wealthy families, they may have the misimpression that those families can pay cash for education like they used to be able to. Um, but education gets more and more expensive, so expensive now 
that only um, the very rich can pay cash um, as they go. It's just much, much harder to pay for college than it used to be. Those days of saying like, I worked my way through college, um, are have changed. I mean, you just can't make enough money to pay for college in the way that uh, people used to be able to. And I would add to that, when you also look at, you know, we, we focus a lot on this demographic where we see two-thirds is between that 25 and 40 years of age, or 35 and 45 years of age. The, the fastest growing demographic with regards to the average balance being held uh, are, are those older individuals, those um, that are 62 years old and older. And that's because they have um, not just potentially their own student loans from their own professional degree, but they're also dealing with the debt that they borrowed for their kids to go to school. And now you have some people that have a real conundrum when they're borrowing for their children. They may still have some uh, legacy loans from their own advanced degree. And they're really pushing the, the, the edge of retirement saying, how, how do I balance um, retirement with student loan payment for my kids, for myself? Uh, and they, they didn't have the money obviously to pay for it cash, or maybe they did, but they chose to put that money in their retirement accounts instead. So there's, there's another segment here that oftentimes gets overlooked of these um, parent borrowers or older borrowers that are nearing retirement that are facing a similar issue, uh, but less time on their side. Yeah, good point, Jansen. Another reason for that increase in borrowing among parents as you know, is that the federal student loan borrowing limits at the undergraduate level have not expanded at anywhere near the speed of the expansion of the cost of education. So parents can be facing a rude shock when considering financial aid packages for their college-aged children and finding that the sources of payment, both from a scholarship grant and direct-to-student loan, are so limited that it's just a drop in the bucket and that really they're, they're faced with, as parents borrowing for the education of their children or ex very expensive, very risky private student loans um, that are, you know, not a good alternative. So I think that, you know, some parents relying on their ex own experience are finding oh no, to, things are different today and my kid can't make ends meet the way I did, so I'm going to need to take on this financial responsibility that I had not fully anticipated. Right, and, and I think that uh, the financial services industry and financial planners have for a long time uh, been providing advice to parents about college planning. Um, but I think that that advice has really been limited towards 
529 plans and way to sit, ways to save for college, which often is a trade-off of, of how they're spending their dollars. Are they sacrificing contributions to their own retirement to save for their kids' college, or are they saving for their kids, uh, you know, saving for retirement and sacrificing kids' college? Most financial advisors that are unfamiliar with student loan repayment and the various student loan repayment options are probably also not familiar enough with the re- with how to advise a client that may be forced or facing borrowing for a child's education because when you have say a married couple with one or two or three kids that are nearing college age and they realize that, that they're not going to sacrifice their own retirement for their kids uh, education but they still want their kids to go to college and they end up financing that through federal student loans uh, who takes out those student loans um, between the two parents can also uh, and oftentimes be very impactful as to what benefits are available from the forgiveness terms that you talked about before. So, so parents that are taking out those loans really need to, to determine which parent is going to do that borrowing. Um, and one parent may have greater uh, opportunities to access forgiveness than another parent and quite frankly, I don't know of very many advisors out there, even those that specialize in college planning, that really understand the repayment options enough to help the parent borrowers navigate that borrowing process with the forward thought of how and, and who is going to be repaying this loan and in what fashion. Right, yeah. And the repayment options are one of the most confusing parts about student loans. And there's no lack of confusing things about student loans. But what, I mean, what are all the repayment plans for federal loans? It's crazy. You've got, you know, so-called standard repayment terms, which can be between 5 and 30 years, depending on the loan type and the loan balance. So that doesn't just sound like one standard plan, as people might assume. You've got graduated, extended, income contingent, income-based one, income-based two, pay as you earn, revised pay as you earn. I mean, the list is insane. And in order to ensure that somebody's in the right plan, they have to know what plans are available to them and what the differences are. And this is this is just simply not the sort of thing that a consumer, even a sophisticated, educated, intelligent person, has the time and resource to be able to figure out on their own. Um, it's really kind of ideal for um, a professional advisor that has a you know broad view of the family's money and their options in order to be able to really come up with a good plan. Right. I mean, as, as we focus here a little bit on the parent borrowers, I would imagine that many, if not most to all financial advisors out there, have dealt with clients whose kids are going to school and those parents are probably accessing parent plus loans and i can't tell you how many times i've seen parent plus borrowers come in with you know six figures or more in student debt uh, but they did things like well 
I borrowed for the first kid and my spouse borrowed for the second kid, or I borrowed one year and then my spouse borrowed one year and then I borrowed. And it really shows uh, the lack of understanding from the parents' side, but I, I'm wagering that most of those parents that are borrowing also have a relationship with some financial advisor that was um, not well-trained, not uh, understanding of the repayment options, and should have stepped in and provided some advice so that they had uh, more advantageous repayment terms with the structure they put themselves into. Sounds like uh, the same kind of, uh, I would say, uh, consumer-wide problem of lack of having any kind of financial strategy with regard to their spending, in particular when it comes to this. Uh, just loading on the debt and not realizing what they're into. But So from, from all uh, we've talked about, uh, it, it, this is not a set-it-and-forget-it thing. Life changes, things change, your, your, your financial features change and so you as a borrower need to have a strategy and the only way you can get a strategy is to uh, continue to uh, monitor uh, your your student loans with the help of a financial advisor uh, and recognize too that there there may need to be changes uh, but but another thing that that we we should touch on here is the loan servicers and it sounds to me like with all the changes that can occur, uh, certainly the new programs that have evolved over the years uh, and then the issues on the consumer side, how prevalent are eras on the loan servicer side? You, you read a lot about these, these people, these organizations getting heat for various things, loan servicer issues, and, and what can I borrow and what can a financial advisor uh, do in respect to dealing with those things or even being aware that they exist well i know jance and i both have plenty of horror stories and examples we can share in that regard maybe i'll just cue up some general things about the sense the system and jance can chime in as well there the federal government hires private companies to administer federal student loans and there are many of them. The big ones are Navient, formerly known as Sally Mae. There's Great Lakes, Nelnet, FedLoan, and there are there are others. Now, I feel a little charitable towards the serving the servicing institutions on occasion for a minute, and so I will say that the system itself incentivizes the servicers to be efficient and meaning fast and processing things in a very mass way. So they have um, technology and call centers with staff who have scripted replies and they are designed to facilitate transactions with some kind of a typical borrower. Um, and if that typical borrower is going to be someone who finished their education with an undergraduate degree or below. It's a minority of students that pursue postgraduate education, which is when you get into these really high loan balances that get far more complicated. 
So that's one reason for it. It's also that the customer of the servicer is not the borrower because their client is the federal government. So it is much more accurate to think of the loan servicing company as the debt collector in relation to the borrower as opposed to any kind of benevolent, you know, or even neutral customer service kind of organization. In fact, they are there to collect dollars, not to provide, you know, helpful, nuanced, uh, specific advice to individuals. So yeah, they're widely regarded to be error prone and to give misinformation that hurts consumers. Uh, there's also totally inadequate oversight of the servicing companies and the third-party collection companies that they use by the federal government. Um, and so borrowers are really in a pickle where they might think that they can trust what their loan servicer says and does, or they might not know enough about the detail to find errors when they occur. Um, and so it's, it's really an opportunity for financial advisors to begin by bonding with a client or potential client by acknowledging that that person has likely had a rough go of it before coming into your office. Um, and also, uh, it's important for financial advisors to manage the expectations of clients with regard to servicing. So you could come out with a fantastic strategy and say, okay, we need to do all these things to get your loans situated. And then actually carrying that out is likely to take some time and correspondence and sometimes back and forth arguing with a loan servicer before you can get them to actually do it right. Yeah, I'll add to that. In my experience, it's been quite challenging working with the loan servicers um, and certainly setting the client's expectations that there will be challenges with the loan servicers is important. Um, but also, I, I like to make sure that the clients understand that what services the loan servicers can provide is generally limited. Um, they're not financial advisors. Uh, they're not tax planners. Um, they are really call center employees and their core competency from a servicing standpoint is collecting money and applying it to the loan balance. The complexity of the income driven repayment plans has really increased the amount of work that's required from a loan servicer. Um, and when a consumer or borrower calls this individual, they're, they're talking to a call center employee that's following a script that is set up for collecting payments and applying payments to loans and record keeping. When we look at these income driven repayment plans and we're talking about differences between taxable income, adjusted gross income, gross income, net pay, um, pre-tax contributions, and all of the things that we as financial professionals understand can interpret into the student loan laws and expect as 
uh, being processed in the payment and the applications of these income-driven repayment plans, it's just something that's beyond the competency of the loan servicer. So we really have to, when working with our clients and working with the loan servicers, try to um, be understanding of the issues, but also understanding of the limitations of the loan servicers and how their policies and procedures work to try our best to fit the documents we're providing into the formats and, and, and uh, structure it in a way that, that fits the way that the box that they want it to come in. One of the things that I uh, a little segue a little bit uh, from this is that there's a tremendous amount of marketing uh, dollars seem to be being spent uh, through the airways, uh, radio, television, that's targeting the market of, of consumers who may be having challenges. And in particular, I'm thinking that uh, from, from what I've gathered, there are a lot of people, a lot of companies that are trying to just drive consumers into consolidations uh, as the solution, or, or perhaps the other is trying to, to move to a private loan. And what kind of advice can you, you give to uh, our public about how to avoid some of these, which you know, I, I think I would call them scams for the most part, because my sense is that these are not well-trained individuals other than to mo try to move borrowers into one particular product, which they're offering. Yeah, I mean, if you hear a company referring to themselves as a consolidation firm, you know it's bad because consolidation is one specific thing that makes sense sometimes and sometimes doesn't. Like it's really important for a minority of borrowers and it's harmful to another minority of borrowers and it's kind of like neutral you should probably skip it but it's not the end of the world if you do it for a lot of people and it is an absolute waste to just hire a company and pay them to do a transaction that there's no cost to do i mean people can consolidate for free anytime they want the hard thing is to know whether or not to do it and what the consequences are. For example, like you can lose progress towards forgiveness by consolidating at the wrong time. You can lose an opportunity to gain forgiveness by not consolidating specific loans. You can cause interest to capitalize and then become interest-bearing principle by consolidating um, and there's like just way too much to know to hire one of these fly-by-night companies that has like these you know offshore call centers and they're just designed to rip off desperate borrowers using fraud and they are all over the place um, then there's uh, also, the you know sort of less prominent problem I would say of um, you know people relying on professionals that may be excellent in their lane, but that have not in fact had the specialized training necessary to be 
good at student loans and to do those without accidentally making um, expensive mistakes. Right. I mean, I, I think that these these shyster companies have really come from the fact that student loan borrowers have had limited places to turn to get this advice. The the loan servicers again are going to stick to what they can have as payments, but they're not going to give them advice about whether or not they should consolidate. They're not going to give advice about how this fits in their plan and and how they could reduce payments with certain uh, planning strategies. Um, and the Department of Education just has websites that are available, but, but most consumers aren't going to navigate or understand that. Um, so you really end up, you know, and then this other mention, then you have your, your financial services industry, your tax advisors, and your financial planners who um, are, are really, the majority of, are not knowledgeable in this subject material. Uh, and even if they were knowledgeable up until the, the CSLP certification, there was really no way for a student loan borrower to identify which uh, advisors were knowledgeable in the subject matter. So they've been left sort of fending for themselves and who's filled the space is these private consolidation companies um, that state attorney generals have done their best to shut them down, but they're really like, it's, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. They, they smash one and another one pops up to the hole next to it. Um, I would say to to student loan borrowers that um, if you're dealing with anything in your finances, um, I would want to talk to a, a regulated, licensed professional. Um, so the first step would be, you know, what regulation or oversight is there over anybody that's talking to me about something in my finances? And then the next step is just because they're regulated or licensed or have some oversight doesn't necessarily mean they're good. Um, so if I can search out a specific uh, designation, um, you know, if a certified financial planner or, or, or some certificate that says, hey, this individual is knowledgeable, CSLP, they're knowledgeable in, in student loan repayment. Um, that's sort of the second step uh, of who I would look for to sort of protect myself from these companies. Well, and you see, gents, that's why I love hanging out with you. Because I've been doing this stuff a long time, and what I want to do is protect borrowers. I mean, I love financial advisors, too, don't get me wrong. But that's not my mission. That's not my backyard. That's not my crew. What I want is a world in which people can afford higher education even if they weren't born with a silver spoon in their mouth and where people who aren't born into wealth can pursue education, borrow to pay for it, because unfortunately that's the system we have, and then get accurate, reliable, comprehensive, useful advice that they can rely on. And until I started working with you and working on the certification, there wasn't a clear path for how a borrower can find that professional. You know, I mean, you, you, we always need to be careful in who we hire to do things for us. You know, we should ask about a person's education and experience. We should understand how they're compensated for the work they do. Um, but the beauty of this certification is that that's a short way that a borrower can look and see, okay, this person has practiced in a regulated industry. This person has 
passed a rigorous examination demonstrating their competency in this area. They will be offered continuing education so that their knowledge will remain current. You know, and that's fantastic. I mean, that's what student loan borrowers need. And their universities and their employers and their loan servicers are not up to the task by themselves. Um, not at all. And I think part of that is student loans, as we've probably talked about at nauseum here, is is complex and it's confusing and it... Um, it takes into account other aspects of someone's life. You know, as you mentioned, when they get married, how they save for retirement, how they buy life insurance or health insurance or disability insurance, um, whether they take a promotion at work, how they structure their employment compensation. All of these things can factor into their student loan repayment. Uh, and it really takes some uh, quarterback really to kind of see all the different moving pieces to help navigate the process. And if it, it, it's difficult for the borrower to do all of that. That's why they often hire financial advisors um, for the other aspects of it. And, and it's difficult for the loan servicer to step outside of their role. It's difficult for the school to step outside of their narrow path. Um, there are bits and pieces that are there, but, but, but without the financial or tax professionals really taking that on, Nobody has the ability to sort of look at all the different pieces and put it together for the borrower. I would say with regards to the last topic, the other, you know, we talked about the private consolidation companies, but a lot of places that are providing um, information to borrowers regarding student loan repayment, including forgiveness opportunities with their private student loans, have found that the easiest way for them to monetize their advice is to sell private refinances. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many blogs or web posts you see where it says, uh, don't do a private refinance, but then here are 10 places you can do a private refinance right below. <laughs> so, you know, the, the historically financial advisors and, and, and people in general have always looked for a lower interest rate. Um, and I think oftentimes the pri private refinances tease a lower, lower interest rate that doesn't necessarily always exist for borrowers. And even if there is a lower interest rate, oftentimes it comes with the loss of many federal protections and can cost the borrower more. So anytime someone considers a private refinance, it should be heavily scrutinized to make sure that that's an appropriate decision for them. What consumers need is reliable, accurate, consumer-oriented advice that isn't driven by lenders seeking profit. Yeah, and, and you know the go-to for many financial advisors for the long time has been find a lower interest rate, pay them off quickly, pay the least amount of interest, and that may not be the best course of action with federal student loans. And uh, I, I think that you'll, you'll see a lot of financial advisors when they encounter student loans, whether it be through their clients or maybe the, the children of their parents, their first go-to thought is going to be, can we refinance this? Uh, many CPAs for the longest time would look at student loans and say, can we refinance this um, into a cash out refi or a home equity line of credit? Um, you know, the tax code sort of took that, the change in tax code this year took that, uh, that, that quiver away, if you will, or that arrow away. Um, 
because it's no longer uh, deductible, whereas the first $100,000 from a cash out refi or a home equity line of credit was, was deductible prior to the change in tax code. Um, but that's sort of been the go-to advice for financial advisors and tax preparers uh, because they're unaware of what other options exist. So I think that many advisors could be leery if they are encompassing or accounting student loans and saying, hey, um, let's look for a private refinance as their first and foremost thought or let's look at a cash out refi because we can get a better interest rate from the home from your home than we can on these student loans um, without really understanding the comprehensive repayment options that exist they could be creating a lot of liability for themselves if something goes awry with that private refinance during repayment well we've covered a lot here uh, in this hour and uh, I'll make sure that the uh, the show notes are also uh, on on the website so uh, people can can read the transcript of this as well. So um, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, as always, uh, Jance and Heather, thank you both. Uh, there's just tons of very valuable information here uh, for everyone in the audience, whether they're a borrower or an advisor. Uh, and uh, we hope that it makes a sincere difference uh, in the lives of the borrowers and, and those who advise them. So thank you guys, and um, we will do this again in another week.